welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. It's good to have all of you. If you're coming in through Spotify, of course, if you're coming in through Anchor.fm or iTunes, thank you for being here. If you're watching the YouTube channel, don't forget to click that subscribe button if you have not already, and the bell for continued notifications. Give me a thumbs up if this video is good or a thumbs down if it is bad, and let me know why it's bad in the comments section. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Don't forget to check out the Substack channel or the Substack newsletter. It's joshsummer.substack.com. There's a free option for subscription and a paid option. The paid option will always help toward producing content like this. Thank you very much to those who have already subscribed in that manner. And those who go with the paid option also get content that, uh, that others don't. So there's a perk as well. Theological hermeneutics or metaphysics that undergird our hermeneutical or biblical interpretational enterprise. What do I mean by that? So when we come to the text of scripture, do we come to the text of scripture with a, a tabula rasa, like a, a blank slate? Is that what we are when we approach the text of the Bible? Do we, do we come to it just empty-minded and we're just waiting for the text of scripture to fill our minds, right? Um, and, and, and some who profess a, a, a version of sola scriptura, which really isn't sola scriptura, but solo or nuda scriptura, uh, it is it is biblicism properly so called would suge would would suggest or imply that uh, a person doesn't have any true knowledge of God until they come into contact with the revelation of God through the scriptures in tandem with regeneration and that's the only way that you have true knowledge of God that regeneration happens and then you know God through His special revel revelation in the scriptures. But is that is that how we ought to? Is that how we ought to understand? Obviously, a person's not going to ascend to the truths of Scripture. They're not going to uh, trust in the truths of Scripture. They're not going to apprehend those truths of Scripture by faith apart from regeneration. But are, are is there a, a sense in which they can know the gospel when it's preached to them? And if so, then is there some kind of common presupposition or assumption that's being made, some kind of assumption as to not only reality, but as to God himself, which is ultimate reality, um, and accounts for all of all of created reality, is there some kind of assumption being made as to who God is when a person comes to the text of Scripture and reads it for the first time? I believe that nearly all the Puritan, the, the, the high orthodox of, of Reformedom, uh, all the Puritan authors assumed that there was there 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 were metaphysical underpinnings to biblical interpretation. They were not, you know, so much interested in bringing those out and systematizing those. Although to some extent they did, um, but they didn't emphasize it, and there was really no need to emphasize it in, in their day and age. They had not been through the various uh, philosophical and destructive steps that we've been through on this side of the Enlightenment, and they haven't suffered therefore from. Uh, materialism so much, or rationalism so much. They were dealing with it then in some ways, but but not as much as we're dealing with it now. They weren't dealing with idealism, certainly. Uh, nominalism had not come to its, uh, its full effect in uh, the subjectivism of the moderns. So um, there were a bunch of things that, 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 there were a bunch of philosophical categories and assumptions that we make in the modern age that they simply weren't forced to make back then, and um, and so they don't have to deal with that baggage. So they're not they're not getting behind 
divinity so much as as we're concerned to do today. We we talk a lot about metaphysics and epistemology. You hear that uh, time and time again with uh, with the Vantillians and and the presuppositionalists are talking about epistemology. I don't think discussion concerning epistemology is altogether unwarranted. But I think it also helps to discuss that always in a tight connection with a distinct connection with metaphysics, that is the study of being. What do we believe about the what do we believe about the world around us? And and more importantly, what do we assume and what do we believe about God who created it and, and sustains it? And there there are some baseline there are some baseline assumptions or presuppositions that we make prior to coming to the text of Scripture that that really accounts for why we're able to uh, to to uh, understand the Scripture in the first place. That we're, that we're able to put eye to letter and and understand the substance behind those letters. Um, there, there's some metaphysical explanation for that. and and so so what is that? I want to begin by reading from William Ames, who was a uh, Ramist philosopher, but he was a Puritan. Uh, divine, and he he writes this, and and this is in article or it's in chapter four rather, it's article four of chapter four of his Marrow of Theology, and he has not treated the scriptures yet, um, but he's now treating the doctrine of God, of God and His essence, and what he says very early on in in that discussion of God and His essence is it comes to us in. Um, it comes to us in Article 4 of that chapter, Chapter 4 of the Marrow of Divinity, or the Marrow of Theology, I'm sorry. He says this, he says, Because those things that pertain to God are necessarily explained after an humane manner, hence is that manner of speaking frequent in these matters which is called anthropopathi, uh, i.e. figure that attributes those things to God which be proper to men as in humane affections, senses, or members. So we all know the parts of Scripture where this happens, or at least some of them. We, we know of Scripture that talks about God uh, smelling the sweet aroma of sacrifice through his nostrils, right? We know about Scripture that talks about God's right hand uh, or God's strong arm. Um, we, we know of Scripture that talks about uh, God, you know, walking in the cool of the day and things of that nature. And so, uh, we, we, we make this distinction between anthropological language in Scripture and other kinds of language, right? So, wh- but why do we do that? Why do we make the distinction like that? There's not necessarily places within the immediate context of, of various texts that would, would give us reason to do that, right? Why don't we just read the text like anthropomorphites might and understand God to have a body, why don't we read the text and just assume that in, in taking the text at face value that God has a body, that he has body parts, that he, he's just some, some guy in the clouds, right? He, he's just some, someone who, who is made of a body, he's just a higher being or creature than we are, and that's it. Why don't we make that assumption instead of the assumption that this language is anthropological in, in scope? It's not describing uh, in a univocal or literal manner who God is, like physiologically, or how God is in himself. Um, It is describing something about God, but using analogy to describe that particular truth, or whatever, whatever truth it's trying to convey. It's using analogy, specifically 
the species of analogy called anthropology or an anthropomorphism. So, but why do we say that? Why do we say that? Well, it's because we're making some fundamental assumptions about who God is. Um, and, 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 and this is necessary, quite frankly. If you go to the two places in Scripture where, you know, the two books in Scripture where it actually begins with God, and there's no exposition as to who God is in the text of Scripture itself, the text of Scripture seems to assume that its reader would know, would have some kind of an understanding as to the contours of God. When it says, for example, in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God, full stop. Before we go any further there, this book, you know, when it would have come to its original audience, historical audience, it would not have had necessarily the surrounding context, it would not have had the, the full scripture surrounding it so that someone, you know, reading that verse uh, would be able to go to a, a book like um, uh, the Psalms and kind of fill out their understanding of God more. In other words, the text is assuming that uh, the reader doesn't need to induce through an inductive Bible study, let's say, what that term God means. It's assuming, rather, that the person reading the text of Scripture already is making some fundamental assumptions about who God is, namely that there is one God and that this God is, uh, that this God exists. And, um, and not only that this God exists, but that this God transcends creation, is above creation, is, is greater than creation in some way, powerful, wise. Um, and, then, and then Genesis 1 goes on to, to, to explain why that's important. In the beginning, God, and then creation, right? Created the heavens and the earth. The earth was form and without void. Or, or, or the, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Another book that actually parallels the Genesis account in Genesis 1 is John 1. And John does the same thing. Now, we have to remember that um, in, in the case of John's gospel, it would have eventually been circulated, right? And, and, it, and, and it, may have, it may have fallen into the hands of Greeks, who were most certainly not Christians, and they weren't making any sort of uh, explicit Christian dogmatic assumption about God and his word when they would have put eyes to John 1. Yet, John assumes that, that his reader is going to be able to apprehend in some way that John's point isn't going to fall on totally ignorant ears uh, when it says, in the beginning again, following kind of the contours of Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So, the Bible assumes that there are some assumptions being made prior to actually coming to and reading the Bible. Um, and this is this is very important because I, I would join with, with, with Dr. Craig Carter in saying that any biblical hermeneutic that is going to understand the scriptures rightly is going to actually have to grow out of a doctrine of God. And this gets us into what's been termed as kind of metaphysical hermeneutics. It's where uh, people have to make 
certain metaphysical assumptions, whether or not those assumptions are implicitly being made. They're probably not stored propositionally in a person's mind. They wouldn't be able to articulate these truths that they're assuming per se. It's like the laws of logic. Most people aren't going to be able to systematize for you what the laws of logic actually are in proposition form, but they assume the laws of logic every day of their lives as they live, eat, move, and breathe, and all of that. And uh, and, and this is this works much much the same. So um, so some so so everyone when they come to the text of scripture have to make certain metaphysical assumptions, either implicit or or implicit and explicit, in the case that they know what these assumptions are and they're conscious of them, conscious of them. And uh, and they have to make those assumptions if they're to understand anything about scripture, namely who is God. And, and why is this important? Why should I even come to the text of Scripture? Um, some of the Puritan divines like Francis Turretin would say that, you know, natural law is actually setting up man. It's preparing man to, to recognize his need for, for the revelation of the gospel. And the revelation of the gospel, of, co- of course, comes through Scripture. So that, you know, the natural, the nature prepares the way in some ways for the for the need to to read scripture and to to read it in view of man's needing redemption but it also prepares the way in terms of understanding you know that there is a god and that this god is speaking to us through the scriptures if you try and which nobody can can truly do this but if you try and totally obviate that the existence of god uh from your thinking in the process of you trying to suppress the truth about God in your thinking, um, if you were to successfully obliterate the thought of God and the knowledge of God in in your mind that you have uh, received through conscience and the works of God in creation, if you were to theoretically able to do that, then you would have no idea who this God of Scripture is, uh, especially if you just pick up the Bible and read one of the books you wouldn't be able to put together who this God is. And then not only that, but you also you also uh, wouldn't care, right? Like, it, it wouldn't be important. Um, but for some reason, people think it's important not only to read the Bible, but they, they, also, they also think it's important uh, to, to be uh, relinquished from the guilt of their sin. And the only the only way that they would be able to know what their sin was or is, uh, and that they're guilty of sin against God is through a natural knowledge of God and His law, His will. So um, let me let me let me give one more example as to why a theological hermeneutic and 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 why hermeneutics must assume a proper metaphysics, a, a proper. Uh, philosophy of being, we might say, and, and and especially a proper doctrine of God with that, because God is ultimate being. He is the one who accounts for all created being. He is the being of being. Let's say. Um, so if 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 we're going to if we're going to understand the scriptures, we need to understand its 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 creational context. We need to understand the God behind it in some way. There has to be some knowledge of God behind the scriptures. That that we are assuming when we come to, to the text of scripture, and let me let me explain why that is is very very important. Throughout the course of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, men have come up with all sorts of heresies. Right? We can think of the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is like a take on Arianism and um, a rejection of the deity of Christ. 
And so they have a bad hermeneutics, right? They they reject they they not only have a bad hermeneutics, they have a bad metaphysics. They they deny the God that sits behind the scriptures and reveals the scriptures to them. And so uh, when they come to a text like John one, and they and they read God, the word God in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. They have a total. Uh, misunderstanding as to who that God is, and and based on that perverted, you know, misunderstanding of of God uh, and that suppressed knowledge of who God is, which they know through creation, Romans one eighteen through twenty one says, because of that suppressed knowledge, they turn that term God into something that is essentially uh, not God at all, um, and so they they end up with a false God, and then on that basis of having a false God. They go into interpreting the scriptures with that baseline false metaphysical assumption. And so all of the scriptures are then evaluated in light of a bad doctrine of God. All right. And this happens all the time. It's happening in our current culture, not with Jehovah's Witnesses, but those who deny uh, objective natures, those who deny objective being, uh, those who reject all of that and and instead opt for subjectivism or relativism that's that's what the whole transgenderism movement is is growing out of and so if you if you don't have some assumptions now I'm not saying that you have to know in a propositional sense these assumptions you don't have to you don't come to the bible and read it and say well it's because of these you know such and such metaphysics that I'm able to uh, that I'm able to comprehend or understand what the bible's telling me you may not you you may not be conscious of that, right? But you're never the you're nevertheless assuming some kind of metaphysical under underpinning that would make the scriptures intelligible, uh, and and if you go to reject that assumption or replace it with something else, uh, then you're going to read the scriptures in that mistaken perverted way with a bad metaphysics. And because your metaphysics is bad, you're going to misinterpret the word God, which is one of the first words in Scripture. And then you're going to, all the rest of Scripture will fall into that uh, bad um, uh, bad understanding. And let me just bring it home to, to the main point here. This is why our doctrine of God must be intact. It must be intact. You don't say, you don't say this. Don't try to... Get away from something like classical theism. Don't try to get away from from a classical doctrine of God, so that you can start from scratch, um, inductively, just by looking at the scriptures. And let me tell you why that's a mistake. Because what you're trying to do essentially is you're trying to, because of a false uh, imagination of what sola scriptura is, you're trying to get rid of the assumptions that you need to be making in order to understand the biblical language aright. And so it's like you've become conscious of a right presupposition with which you need to approach the text of Scripture, but now you're trying to get rid of or suppress that presupposition that comes to you quite naturally because God has revealed himself to you in yourself and through nature. You're trying to now suppress that and you're trying to replace it with either no metaphysics at all, as if you as if as if you just need to have your your metaphysics, as if your metaphysics is just an empty bucket. And you need to have it populated by scripture, uh, or you're replacing it with a bad metaphysics. You're replacing it with a bad metaphysics that is going to cause you to 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 interpret certain 
things in scripture and certain concepts in scripture falsely and 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 groups have done this throughout history. So I, I'm, I'm worried about the, I'm not worried about the generation that's now denying these things um, so much as I'm worried about the following generations that pick up on these denials, appropriate them and further develop them and, and, and try to be more consistent with them. Um, because that's, that's essentially how heresy works. That's how heresy develops is, is it begins sometimes in an orthodox thinker. And then it's then it's then it's carried on by future generations who take it, and they try to develop upon it, and they they try to appropriate it, and all of that, and they end up consistent, which is a shame, because now they're anthropomorphites. Now they're denying the immutability of God, and 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 they're denying uh, the language of analogy, and they're going with univocity, full on, full fledged. Um, their language, it is assumed, comprehends the divine essence and all of this. They reject finitum non capax infinity. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. And they're in the land of anthropomorphism. And, and now they're affirming things like God has a body. God is not simple. God moves. God changes. God relates to creation through becoming like creation. At creation, right? And, and, and we've already seen some of this. In writers like Dr. John Frame, we've seen it in writers like Dr. Vern Poitras, we've seen it in writers like Dr. Jeffrey Johnson. Um, and, 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 and the worst part about it is you have men who would have otherwise been orthodox, and, and I believe may perhaps still be inconsistently orthodox, right? They're affirming a, a right doctrine of God, but they're, but they're defending someone like Johnson's doctrine of God. And let me tell you, that doctrine of God, everyone assumes a doctrine of God when they come to the text of Scripture. That doctrine of God is not going to serve as a proper metaphysic for a person's understanding and appropriation of biblical revelation. And the hermeneutical enterprise at that point will break down for those individuals. And this is not going to be in your generation. It's going to be in future generations. So it's not going to affect you so much personally. It's going to affect your children and your children's children and their children. And churches down that line. When you go to the East Coast, there are a lot of congregations in on, on the East Coast, especially in the Northeast, that have, and I say a lot, I don't, I don't, that's kind of exaggerated. There are some congregations that are out there um, that are dead churches. They're not true churches anymore. They're just like synagogues of Satan. They're Unitarians. Um, uh, they're they're LGBTQ affirming and all of this. And the gospel, there's you know biblical infallibility. All that's gone. That didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like a, a perfectly orthodox congregation got together one day and said, "Hey, let's trash all of this," and 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 instead opt for this ridiculous theology over here, false theology. It happened over many, many generations, and it happened over the course of several tiny compromises concerning very, very important doctrines. Um, a lot of the uh, the apostasy on the East Coast, you could you could locate its origin from the Deist movement in the 18th century. Uh, up through to the 19th century and the downgrade and 
the 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 import of scientism and materialism into the interpretational enterprise and theologians orthodox theologians again granting that to some extent and then future generations picking that up and rolling with it such that now they're they're in so it is a slippery slope there is a slippery slope to this um, and if you deny the very fundamental bedrock of scripture which is god himself god himself if you deny god himself if you deny things like the immutability of God, if you deny things like divine simplicity, if you deny these fundamental metaphysical realities, these truths about God revealed to us through creation, which all, man, all, all men know to one extent or another, then, then what's going to end up happening is future generations are going to pick up on that. They're going to develop on it. They're going to appropriate the language instead of rejecting it. They're going to adopt it into their own theological corpus and way of thinking, and that's going to become common practice for those that listen to you and for those who decided to carry on what you are teaching concerning God and teach their children. So it, there's a lot at stake here, gentlemen, a lot at stake. This, I, I understand, this sounds like uh, this sounds like, you know, these, these guys are men like Craig Carter and Richard Muller to some extent, and even the Puritans are putting philosophy before theology or as if they're they're putting philosophy over and above scripture in terms of its authority um nobody's nobody is taking philosophy and putting up it up over and against scripture as if it's more authoritative than scripture but we have to join with francis turretin on this and say that in our in the in the order of our thinking in the order of our thinking right there are certain first principles that we must have intact. One of them being the doctrine of God, uh, at least the, the, the doctrine that's revealed through creation, the laws of logic, um, basic reliability of sense perception, you know, things, things like that. We must have those things intact to one extent or another before we come to the text of Scripture. And but, so if you become conscious of those things and you take them and you, and you, you try to do away with them and replace them with, with ba a bad doctrine of God, let's say, uh, a rejection of the laws of logic, uh, a rejection of, of, of realist assumptions and things like that, then you're going to end up with future generations who are, who are going to make hash work of, of the biblical revelation. There's just no way around that, as far as I can tell. So... Anyway, uh, if this, again, please don't forget to subscribe uh, to the channel. Click that red button down there and, um, and give me a thumbs up if this was good. Thumbs down if not. As always, uh, leave me a, a comment. Uh, I always like it when people leave comments. Uh, and don't forget to check out joshsummer.substack.com. It's the newsletter. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.